Well, hi, welcome to The Christian Contrast, where we talk about how walking with Jesus leads us to live differently than those in the world around us. Um, and I'm Dan here with a solo episode. Um, I'm entitling this episode, Andy Stanley, Homosexuality and Welcoming Unbelievers. Um, and it, even though it's in the title, the, the main purpose for this episode is not to do a deep dive into Andy Stanley, although um, some things surrounding him have uh, brought some of the subjects on this episode to surface. And so I want to start with that. Um, if you don't know who Andy Stanley is, he is a pastor in Georgia of a very large and influential church. Um, and he's been sort of in the news, at least in the Christian news lately, um, because it's unclear right now if he has moved towards a stance of affirming same-sex couples or affirming a gay lifestyle. It's vague, it's hard to tell, and it's just, it's brought up bigger questions about how churches handle these sorts of things. And so um, my, my purpose, like I said, my, my purpose in talking about this is not to do a deep dive into Andy Stanley and to where he stands with things. Um, even with what's been going on lately, I sort of tried to figure it out and tried to look into some things and it was all very vague to me it was hard to to sort of get nailed down exactly what's going on and exactly what he's saying um and to some degree i i don't want to say i don't care it's it, it's not something that keeps me up at night that i think i need to know what andy stanley thinks of this um but as as a brother in christ and as you know a a church leader and he's a church leader, I, I care from that standpoint because he's a brother in Christ and because he um, leads an influential church. Um, but I, I don't consider it my job to try to sort all of this out. Um, just for the record, uh, years and years ago, I already had felt like Andy Stanley was not a helpful person to direct people to. Um, that there was a season of time, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, where I would have shrugged my shoulders and said, sure, Andy Stanley, like make, make him part of your rotation of Christian leaders that you listen to, why not? He, he wouldn't have been somebody that I would say, make him your go-to guy, but I would have said, sure, why not? Um, then he started getting into some things related to the Old Testament that I think are way off base. He, he still is there as far as I can tell. And just some goofy, strange things to where I just said, I, I don't think that he's a helpful person to listen to. Not a heretic, but not a helpful person to listen to. Um, so in some ways, I, I feel like some of the drift that people are picking up on, if this is real drift, it's, it's very vague to me right now, um, has been coming for a while. And I, I think that it's okay for us. Um, sometimes we feel like we're being judgy when we say things like this. It's okay for us as believers to say, this is a helpful person to listen to. This is not a helpful person to listen to. It doesn't mean nobody can be helped by Andy Stanley, but I, for a long time, I wouldn't have recommended him um, to people. But at, at a core level, here's what seems to be going on surrounding Andy Stanley and North Point Church, is that they're looking to for a way to sort through how churches interact with people who identify as being gay or somewhere on the LGBTQ, you know, um, uh, spectrum. Um, and then also parents and loved ones who are dealing with people um, related to them who are identifying that way, just trying to sort through this. And it's possible, it's not totally clear to me, but it's possible that the, the conflict or what they're trying to work through is how do we remain true to scripture and true to scripture's um, conception of uh, sexuality and of marriage while trying to be appropriately welcoming um, to people who, who in general are just non-Christians or who are sinners, um, and, and we're all sinners, but I mean, um, who are sinners in the biblical sense of they're not Christians, um, 
while still staying true to what Scripture says. And so wherever North Point is at with this and wherever Andy Stanley is with this, I I feel like this is something helpful for us all to think through. And so I'm going to talk through this a little bit. The the terminology I'm going to be using is going to relate to how churches respond to this. But if you're sitting there and you're like, I'm just an individual believer, I, I don't speak for the church, by church, I mean the people of God, the the body of Christ. So if you're a believer, you are a part of the church, and God willing, you are a part of a local church, whether that's Life Bible Fellowship Church or some other local church. So what I'm not saying here is just, this is what church leaders should do or what the official stance of a church should be, but this is what churches, this is what communities of Jesus um, should look to do regarding this subject that touches if not all of us, pretty much all of us, which is um, how do we look to stay true to what Scripture says while adjusting to the fact that there are people around us who are somewhere on the LGBTQ spectrum, at least identifying that way, and that we want to reach out to them with the gospel. So three things that I'll talk about related to this. Um, The first is that churches should make appropriate room for unbelievers. Um, Now, once again, when I say churches, I'm talking about the community. The church is the people. The people within the church, and thinking of a local church, so like a Life Bible Fellowship Church, we as a community should be making room for unbelievers of all sorts. Unbelievers who are atheists, unbelievers who maybe have a religious background related to Christianity or some other religion, and now they're they're sort of trying to sort things through. Um, unbelievers who are gay or who are saying that they're gay or men who are saying that they're women, whatever it is, we want to make room for unbelievers in the church community, appropriate room for unbelievers. And and part of why I think we get there is when you look at the ministry of Jesus, you you see the disciples and he treats the disciples in a different way. They're very committed. They've come to believe in him. And then even um, apart from the the apostles, you know, more broadly, the disciples and, and the community, there's other people who aren't part of the 12 that they're all in with Jesus. They've come to faith in him. Um, and then you also have the crowds. And you have the crowds, and Jesus is not mad about the crowds. And he's not mad about the fact that there are people in the crowds that are still undecided. They're coming to listen to him. They're not so sure. They're taking it in. Um, It it doesn't mean that there's no point of decision, but Jesus doesn't say, no, we're not going to do this around the crowds. He has plenty of time that it's just him and his disciples, but Jesus welcomes that there's a part of his ministry that involves the crowds. And I think that there's something for us to take there. Um, And it can have different expressions in different churches, but that we should look at it and say, we are looking to invite the world. We are looking to invite the crowds into at least some level of what we're up to as a church. And so for many churches, that's going to at the very least mean our Sunday gatherings. Um, Now, as long as I've been a Christian and sort of aware of it, there's been debate um, about the Sunday gatherings that churches have. We, We usually call them our church services. In fact, usually we say we're going to church, which is not biblically correct. We don't go to church. We are the church. We gather with the church. So on a Sunday morning, when the church is having a gathering, is that for Christians or is that for non-Christians? Is that for purposes of building up the body of Christ or is that for evangelistic purposes? And I think most of us feel like those both can be a part of it. Um, I, I personally believe that 
the, the bigger, the primary purpose of that Sunday gathering is building up believers and worshiping with other believers. But I think that there also can be a great evangelistic purpose to that. We look to every single Sunday, make sure that the gospel is presented, that Jesus is presented, that we're not just talking about sort of the, the nitty gritty of how we live as Christians, but that we're drawing it back to the gospel every single Sunday. Um, so there's an opportunity for unbelievers to get in on that. Um, it's not all just inside language. We try to be sensitive to the fact that there's gonna be visitors there. So I think m most churches feel like, well, well, to some degree, we can do both of these. And Sunday gatherings are a place where even if it's for believers, e even if the, the primary purpose is we are building up Christians who are committed to this church family in how we live for Jesus, there still is a, a side purpose of saying, hey, if, if you're not a Christian, and uh, especially if you're not claiming to be a Christian, you're not acting like you're a Christian, but you're curious, you wanna know more about what the Bible says, maybe you find this community compelling, you, you have a friend in here who's invited you, we're not gonna say don't come, we're not gonna say this is not for you, and we're not gonna expect you to immediately start behaving as a Christian. So there's space. Sometimes this is within uh, small groups, or we, we call them life groups, where there might be a neighbor, or there might be a friend that's saying like, well, can I be a part of that small group even though I'm not a Christian? And in many of the groups, we would say yes. And they'd say, now, here's what you need to know. We're gonna study the Bible together, we're gonna pray together, we're gonna talk about Jesus, we're, we're, we're not gonna get sidetracked by all of your questions. We, we, we may create some space for you to ask some of them, but we, we have a purpose here, but you are invited into that. We have our student ministry. Non-Christian students are absolutely invited into what goes on on Wednesday nights for us. We've got men's Bible study and women's Bible study. If you're not, you don't have to be a Christian to be involved in that. Now, you do need to be a Christian to be a member. I, I feel like if, if you're a church that has membership, that's baseline. And you gotta be a believer in Jesus. You have to be a member of the body of Christ to be a member of this local church. Um, certainly any kind of leadership position you need to be a Christian to be a part of. But there's even some levels of participation that you might invite non-Christians into. Um, if we do a community impact day and we're doing some cleanup around the area and somebody's not a Christian and they say, can I come be a part of this? We're probably gonna say yes. Um, we're not gonna make them a leader within it, but we'll probably say, yeah, absolutely. You can come to be a part of this. So churches should look to create space for there to be non-Christians that can participate in what's going on in the body of Christ, God willing, still with clarity that, that there's something that they haven't done. They're, they're not a full member. They're, they're sort of part of the crowd looking in on all of this. Um, and also within this, um, it's important for us within this to be able to create space where it's okay to ask questions. Um, now, now, I grew up in a setting, in an evangelical setting, where I felt like we could ask questions. Um, so I, I do admit, I think some people talk as if in their church they weren't allowed to ask questions. I think that that's a lot less common than we act like it is. I think maybe some people didn't feel free to, but if they asked the questions, they would have found that they were. Um, but no doubt other people, that they, they dip their toe in the water, they ask the question, said, I'm not sure I believe, I'm, I'm not sure about creation versus evolution, I'm not sure about the church's stance on sexuality, and, and they sort of, it was like the whack-a-mole thing, they, they put their head up, they got smashed down, and they were like, I'm never doing that again. So sometimes it does happen. We need to create space for questions. We need to create space for questions from Christians and from non-Christians, from people who are doubting, from people who aren't sure where they're at, for people to admit the different faults and the different 
flaws and the different sins that they found themselves either stuck in or tempted toward. We want to create space for that. And so specifically on the homosexuality question, we want to create space where any church member or anybody related to the church could go to pastor, small group leader, youth leader, somebody like that, and say, hey, I'm like, I'm, however they would say it, I, I think I'm gay, or I'm same-sex attracted, or I'm kind of like tempted to, to participate in, in like gay activities, um, and to feel like they're not gonna get squashed for that, to feel like this is a safe place, there's grace, we're gonna talk it through, we're not gonna cast you out when you're admitting your doubts or your struggles. We wanna create space for unbelievers and for people who are struggling. So that's number one. Um, number two is that churches should call all people to repentance. Now, one of the reasons why it's really important to me to talk about this is because when the subject comes up about whether churches are affirming same-sex couples or not affirming same-sex couples and, and or you know affirming a, a Christian gay lifestyle or not affirming a Christian gay lifestyle, um, the language of inclusion and exclusion usually is brought up in that context, that don't we want to be inclusive? Don't we want to include people instead of ex excluding people? Um, and here is my response to that. My response to that is I want to make sure we don't exclude anyone from the call to repentance. We all are called to repentance and you don't become a believer in Jesus without repentance. Now, repentance doesn't mean that you no longer ever sin and only when you no longer ever sin can you place your faith in Jesus. It, it just means that you are yielding your life to him. You are submitting your life to him. You are turning away from sin, whatever the different expressions of that sin, whether it's greed, whether it's something related to sexuality, whether it's related to violence or anger or gossip or dishonesty, all of those things. We are repenting. We are all called to repentance. I think the sad thing is that there's many churches now that maybe they do want to still have a call to repentance in some ways. They might say, we're, we're going to call to repentance when it comes to racism, and we're going to call to repentance when it comes to sexual assault, and we're going to call to repentance when it comes to sexism, and, and whatever. There, there might be a list of sins that they say, yes, we're going to call to repentance on these, um, but they leave certain sins out, and they're like, no, we're, we're not going to call gay people to repentance. We're not going to call anybody participating in a same-sex sexual lifestyle to repentance. That is actually exclusion. You are not including them in the call that we all are included in, which is a call to faith and repentance. And so churches should not be afraid of this. Now, now here's the deal. This doesn't mean that every conversation that you have with a non-Christian who is somehow participating in the life of your church needs to be about their call to repentance. It means that the church needs to teach that, and at least in a personal conversation, if it comes up, we need to express that to individuals. If somebody is saying, well, I'm I want to become a Christian, but I'm not going to walk away from a gay lifestyle. We need to give them the call to repentance in the same way that if somebody said, hey, I want to be a Christian, but I'm not going to stop sleeping with women that I'm not married to. We need to give them the call to repentance. The call to repentance goes out to all. And part of this, I know once again, this comes from this weird place where we're like, but we want to be loving. Sin keeps us from God. Sin brings destruction into our lives. It hurts our relationship with God. It hurts our relationship with others. Um, and 
while our expectation is not that we would think that a non-Christian would act like a Christian or we're going to demand that they act like a Christian before they do, non-Christians need to hear the call to repentance. The, the law of God prepares us for the gospel. The law reveals that we're sinners and therefore we're prepared for the gospel. And so in, in one of the videos that I saw with Andy Stanley, which, which was just really bizarre and it just relates to this, he was talking as if he was apologizing to non-Christians and saying, hey, I'm sorry if we tried to make you obey our rules. And that to me is just way off the mark, just a bizarre thing to say. They need to know what God has said and they need to know where they violated what God has said. Because if your message is just, you're good, I'm good, God's good with us, that's not the gospel. The gospel is we are lost in our sin. Um, now, I said a minute ago that this doesn't mean that every conversation you have with a non-Christian needs to be about a call to repentance. That, that, that's not the way it's going to work. And part of this is that we need to recognize that the main problem, like n nobody, well, I'll say it this way, um, nobody misses out on heaven because they're gay. That, that, that is not why you are missing out on heaven. We, we miss out on heaven because we have not placed our faith in Jesus. And there can be any number of sins that if we hold more dearly to that sin than we hold to Jesus, that we will end up missing out on salvation. But it's not a situation where God's looking at somebody and saying like, hey, everything's good, man. I mean, you're, you're a pretty good guy. You're kind to, your, kind to your neighbors. You help old ladies with their groceries. You know, you do all these great things, but you're living a gay lifestyle, so you can't come in. That is not, it is lack of faith in Jesus, which keeps us out. And for some people, it may be that what keeps them from placing their faith in Jesus is that they're not gonna give up their gay lifestyle. But what I think is important is that it is not simply, the call to repentance is not a call from homosexuality to heterosexuality. That is not the call of the gospel. It's a call away from sin and to righteousness. It's, a way, it's calling us away from ourselves and to submitting our lives to Jesus we, because he covered all of our sins and because we believe he is the Lord. Um, uh, uh, several years ago, I read a book by Jackie Hill Perry, who some of you will have heard of, um, she came out of a lesbian lifestyle, has embraced faith in Jesus and, and speaks at different events. Um, and she wrote a book, um, I, I gotta make sure I get it right. I think the name of the book is um, Gay Girl, Good God. And I, I found it to be a really helpful book. But one of the things that she talks about in the book is, is once she um, put her faith in Jesus and repented and was starting to grow in her faith and be discipled, um, that the, the woman who was discipling her at one point said to her, um, Jackie, Homosexuality is not the only sin God is dealing with you on. In fact, she came to believe it wasn't even necessarily the primary sin that God was dealing with her on. There was pride, there was anger, there was all kinds of other junk going on in her life, and that's true of all of us. So when we're calling people to repentance, let's remember that the surface sin that we see certainly is not the only sin and may not even be the primary sin keeping them from faith in Jesus. But we as churches, we call people to repentance and nobody gets excluded from that. Everybody is included in that call to repentance. And then finally, the third thing I wanna talk about with this is that churches need to admit when there are gray areas. Um, and this is where, um, once again, I, I don't recommend Andy Stanley to anyone. I don't feel like he's helpful. And even at times where I'm like, maybe he hasn't gone off the deep end, he, he chooses to be vague in a way that I'm like, I, I don't know what you're doing. Um, 
But if I was looking to be charitable in all this, what I'd say is I think that there are gray areas as we wrestle through how do we as churches engage with the fact that we've li- we live in a culture now that has normalized homosexuality. Um, we don't change our beliefs in this, but how do we adjust to this being normalized in our culture? And what I'd say is every way that we respond is not crystal clear in the Bible. There are still questions and judgment calls to be made. And so a, a big one is people will ask, well, should I attend this gay wedding um, of my son, of my cousin, of my friend from work? Should I attend this? And a lot of Christians just say no, just a, a hard no. Um, and I'm pretty sympathetic to the hard no. I, I definitely, I, I, I think that uh, I can fully understand where somebody's coming from with the hard no of saying, this is somebody, this is something that is not good. God has said that it's not good. When you go to a wedding, you're sort of celebrating and participating in the wedding, so you should not go. And, and I get that. And I would even say for me, my, my default setting would probably be no. Um, I, I would be a hard no. I certainly would never officiate um, a, a gay wedding, and I would never be like a groomsman or, or participate in any formal way in that. that. Those would be hard no's for me, and, and to me, I, I think those should be hard no's for all Christians. That That's my take, and if somebody thinks that that's not right, I'd be willing to listen, but I'm pretty firm on those. Um, I would default towards probably no for attending in most circumstances, but I don't think it's crystal clear in scripture. I I think that there could be scenarios where you could say, this might actually be something that's a gospel opportunity or keeping open a gospel opportunity with this person, um, provided the fact that they're not misunderstanding what my attendance signifies. And if you have the kind of relationship with the person where they know where you stand, they know what you believe about the Bible, but they know that you care about them and what they pick up from your attendance is, um, if it's me, is, hey, even though Dan absolutely disagrees with what I'm doing and disagrees with my lifestyle and thinks that God uh, is calling me to repentance in this, Dan cares about me enough that he still decided to show up to, to show that he cares about me. I could see a scenario in which I'd say like, all right, I think that's a judgment call. Um, and, and I think we live in a culture right now where you get accused of being wishy-washy um, if you don't take sort of these firm stance, like, nope, and also, even maybe some people listening right now are like, Dan's being wishy-washy, he's not taking a hard stand. Um, there are things in Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10 that fall into this area of gray areas. There are some things that we don't take firm stands on because scripture doesn't take firm stands on. In fact, the firm stand is to say, no, Christians get to decide different things in this area. Christians get to decide different things when it comes to homeschooling, private school, and public school. Christians get to decide different things when it comes to uh, their consumption of alcohol. Christians get to decide different things um, when it comes to uh, what, what sort of movies they watch. And the, the, actually the firm stand of conviction is to defend the rights of different Christians to handle this differently. And I think we've got to do that in the same way that um, we, we've got to allow some gray and some space and saying it's not always clear how a parent is supposed to respond to a kid who says, hey, I'm gay, or uh, I know I was born a boy, but I really feel like I'm a girl. Um, some might feel like, well, right away, you've got to like squelch this. And what I'd say is where you're looking to get is you're looking to get them to yield every part of themselves, including their sexual expressions to Jesus, the path to getting there isn't 
necessarily crystal clear, and it's not the same in every case. So we've got to allow room for appropriate gray. It is not a gray area what God says about uh, homosexual sexual acts. That's not a gray area. That's clear, that's black and white. But what we do in every situation, there is some gray, and it's not being wishy-washy to acknowledge that there's some gray. But what's not gray in this is that we hold firmly to the gospel. We include everybody in the call to repentance. We are unashamed about God's call when it comes to anything, including sexuality, because God knows all and his call for us is the best. It's not something that we have to apologize for. It's sort of like, I'm sorry, but this is what the Bible says and I've got to hold to it. We're not ashamed. We can be gentle, but we're not ashamed of what God says on this. And we want to welcome all to Jesus. The call to repentance is an invitation. It's a call for all to come to Jesus. And the call to come to Jesus doesn't end up with anybody bringing everything that they have to Jesus and then keeping everything that they have. Jesus calls people to repentance and doesn't even let them go back home and say goodbye to their family. We don't get to hold on to everything that we have and follow Jesus. We abandon all and follow Jesus, but we believe that he's worth it. So we welcome all to Jesus. We invite all to Jesus, but the invitation to Jesus is an invitation to repentance, and we need to not exclude anybody from that joyful and life-giving call to repentance. Um, there's obviously a lot in this. Some of you may want to talk more about Andy Stanley. I guess that that's fine. Once again, I'm not looking to be the expert or looking to sort of diagram everything that he's doing. Um, some of you may have practical questions on how this is lived out on an individual level or a church level and what it looks like to include people who aren't Christians in the life of the church in appropriate ways and not cross over into inappropriate ways. Um, I'd love to engage with all that through any questions or comments on this episode. Um, you can find all the episodes of Christian Contrast uh, on our YouTube page for Life Bible Fellowship Church, uh, our YouTube channel for Life Bible Fellowship Church, or on our website, lbf.church. Um, we put out episodes every two weeks, and so you can find all sorts of back episodes, a wealth of what, what we're trying to do in providing good Christian gospel-centered content to help us live lives where we stand out from the world around us because we're following Jesus and trusting him. So we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, thanks so much for taking the time to listen to The Christian Contrast.